Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11, says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. He is talking to a Gentile audience uh, here in this verse or in this section. He is talking to seemingly outsiders, anybody and everybody but uh, the Jewish people. Verse 13, though, but now... He says, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles By creating in himself one new people from the two groups, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. And this is the verse I want us to focus in on, verse 18. Now all of us, both Jew and Gentile, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? And then look over at chapter 3, verse 12. Again, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, it is powerful, and it still speaks today. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments together, as we spend time together around your word, may you captivate our attention this morning. Holy Spirit, may you speak, encourage, convict, challenge every heart and life in this room, myself included, so that when we walk out of here, we walk out of here um, more in love with you, with a greater desire to serve you and pursue after you. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. Help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity, with passion. And uh, Lord, I pray today that you would help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope everybody came prepared to listen quickly. So uh, don't be checking the Colts score either right now. I don't, I <laughs> or if you do, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, whatever. Um, I'm just kidding. So (laughs) um, we are in week number two of this Say Yes series. Today, we're going to talk about the better access that we have uh, to our Father because of what Christ did on the cross. And really looking forward to sharing this message uh, with you all. I believe this will be an encouragement. Uh, Certainly has been already to me, and I pray and believe it will be to you as well. We learned last week that our yes to Jesus brings us an important change of status that is possible because of one man, Jesus Christ himself. I think I asked last week, I want to ask again, just for a quick show of hands, how many of you in this room are yes people? How many of you are yes people? And then how many of I am, I'll raise my hand, and then how many of you have no problem whatsoever saying no? There's a few of you. 
I probably won't ever ask you anything then. <laughs> I'll be afraid. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we talked about the change of status that we get in Christ Jesus last week. We learned that my yes to Jesus takes me from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So because of Christ and what he did on the cross, uh, we used to be spiritually dead, but when we say yes to Jesus, we receive spiritual life. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, and we can receive that life in Jesus Christ. We also talked about last week how my yes to Jesus transfers me from being a slave to sin before Christ and transfers me to become a slave of righteousness. We read in Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 22, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then we also talked about how when we say yes to Jesus, it moves us from being a condemned sinner to a sinner saved by God's grace. How many are thankful uh, that we have been saved by the grace of God? Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, simply says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. We go from being slaves of, uh, of sin to slaves of righteousness, and we move from being um, condemned sinners to sinners saved by grace, all because of one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. And that comes through faith. That comes through us saying yes to Jesus. And I said last week that would be the greatest yes you will ever declare is when you say yes to Jesus Christ. We say yes to so many things in life, but the question is, are we saying yes to the most important thing, or I should say most important person, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ? There are several things we can say yes to. Yes to a new promotion, yes to a new activity, yes to a new hobby, yes to a new relationship, but are we saying yes to the most important thing or person, and that is Jesus Christ? Um, Stormy or Morshin said this, trust uh, trust that God has your best interest in mind and be willing to do what he asks of you, even if you don't understand why. And then I want you to see this phrase, obedience starts with having a heart that says yes to God. Obedience starts with a heart that is willing to say yes to Jesus. So when we, when we say yes to Jesus, we are initiating a walk of obedience to him. So my question is, are we saying yes to all of the other things in life first and then trying to squeeze into um, our life a relationship with Jesus? I think that's how, uh, I think normally what we try to do is we try to cram everything into our schedule and into our life. And then at the very end of the day, we say, okay, where can I fit Jesus into the mix? And sometimes what ends up happening is we've crammed so many other things into our life. We said yes to so many other things that we don't have room to say yes to Jesus. And that's pretty detrimental. So my, my encouragement, my challenge to us is, and, and, and even what scripture says, we need to say yes to Jesus first and then allow everything else to fill into its place. And that's biblical. Matthew chapter six, verse 33, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and and then all of these other things will be added unto you. So we are called to make certain that we say yes to him. And if you're worried about not having enough time for other things or 
other activities or, or other desires. Let me tell you, if you say yes to Jesus first, you will be surprised at how things will start to, to fill in and, and God still gives you the desires of your heart. So are we saying yes to Jesus first and allowing him to be our first yes? So the what now challenge last week as we ended the message was twofold. Either we needed to say yes to Jesus maybe for the first time, or we need to start considering how we can shift things around in our life so our first yes is to Jesus and then fit everything else in. We talked about that status change. Our yes to Jesus, though, and I want you to hear this this morning, it does more than just change our status. Our yes to him gives us better access to our heavenly father. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Let me read the verse again in Ephesians uh, chapter three, verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And that's what I wanna unpack this morning. What does this better access mean for the believer, for the person who says yes to Jesus. And I believe that when you leave here today, you are gonna be more encouraged and have a greater desire to take advantage of the access that we have through Jesus Christ. So number one, what does this access mean for the believer? Number one, our access to the Father is a reminder that no one is outside of God's reach. This is a powerful um, implication that we need to wrestle with. Let me, um, let me remind you in, in the text that we read, Paul describes, remember, he is writing to a Gentile audience and he was talking about how they used to be dead in their sin, how they used to be condemned sinners, how they were far from God. And, and so Paul is describing the spiritual alienation in the estrangement that the Gentile people felt before Christ. Let's look at it again, Ephesians 2, the first two verses we read in verse 11 and 12. Don't forget that you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. This description of Gentile people makes it sound like they were an absolute lost cause. Um, it, it says that they lived in this world without God and without no hope. So that is the description that Paul is painting, that, that they seem to be completely and utterly lost. When we consider the, the description that you see in the verse, they used to be outsiders. They were called uncircumcised heathens. They were living apart from Christ and they were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. They were outsiders. They were alienated. They were estranged from the people of God. They did not share. I want you to consider this. Uh, the Gentiles did not share the supposed, quote, privileges that belong to the Jewish people. What do I mean by that? Well, a devout Jew, let me give you a taste of what I mean by that. A devout Jew would thank God daily that he or she was not a Gentile. The Jews, they viewed themselves as better than others. It was to the Jewish people that the law was given. We know from scripture, a special sign of the covenant was established and the worship of Yahweh emerged from the Israelite Jewish race. 
And the Gentiles, they were cut off from all of these special privileges, making it appear that they were too far gone, too far outside of one's ability to save. The Gentiles, they were alienated from God. They were, they were lost spiritually and they had no hope. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Even the lost, too far gone Gentiles, they were brought near to God and they were granted access to the Father. Ephesians 2.13 again. But now, again, those two words we, we looked at last week in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him. How? All through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the same man that gave us a change of status is the same man, Jesus Christ, who is going to give us access to our heavenly father. We also read in Colossians 1 verses 20 through 22, it says, in through him, speaking of Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And look at this. As a result, he, Jesus, has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So I want you to hear this morning, Paul is writing to a Gentile audience, but we are no different when it comes to that audience. We are no different from the Gentiles. We, before Christ, we were lost. We were seemingly too far gone people who by the blood of Jesus, just like the Gentiles were brought, new, brought near, so we through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near to our heavenly father and we have been granted access into his presence. No one is too far gone. No one is outside of God's ability to reach. I wanna ask this question to you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. Have you ever known someone who you thought was a lost cause, who you thought was too far gone or possibly outside of the realm of being saved? Maybe it was a friend at school. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was your worst enemy. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter who you presently think, man, I, I don't know how they're even gonna come back to Christ. Maybe it's an unreached people group. Maybe it was even you. Maybe you're sitting here in this room and you were supposedly one of those too far outside of God's reach, but now you're sitting here because of God, because of his pursuit of you. You know, in Jesus's day, there were several people groups who were written off, several individuals who were deemed as outsiders, who were deemed as being estranged or excommunicated from the people of God. Um, we have the tax collectors. We know that they were hated. Um, maybe not a lot has changed, but they were hated in Jesus's day. 
Um, and, and they were deemed as sinners. No one wanted to associate with them. They would, they would cheat people out of their money. You had the Samaritans. They were the, the half-breed. They were the ones who, who mixed uh, pure religion with polytheistic other religions, um, and, and they were hated by the Jewish people. You had the lepers. By nature of having leprosy, they would be excommunicated from their communities. Um, they had to declare themselves. If they were coming into the city or coming into a group of people, they had to yell out and they had to scream, you know, leper, leper, unclean, unclean, that they were coming. So people knew uh, that somebody that was deemed unclean by Jewish law uh, was coming into their presence. And then even the demon possessed man in Mark chapter five, that guy is chained. Uh, he is out of his mind. People see him as absolutely crazy. All of these people or people groups, uh, even in Jesus's day, were, were deemed as outsiders. They were estranged. They were deemed as too far gone. Like God, God has no interest in them is how people viewed the these individuals. But we know that the blood of Jesus that reconciles us, that restores our relationship with God, gave even those who were deemed too far gone access to God when they simply said yes to Jesus. Remember the Samaritan woman who, who Jesus, when he got done talking about the living water that, that he could offer her, she goes back to uh, her village. She tells everybody about what, what this man had just told her. Not only did she say yes to Jesus, but her entire community, her entire village said yes to Jesus. The demon-possessed man, when he was released, when he was set free, when Jesus spoke into his life, uh, he became a sane man. And guess what? People were afraid of the, of the sane man because they didn't recognize that he had been transformed. And he went back to several of his communities and villages, and he began to declare what Jesus had done in him. Tax collector, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. Guess what? Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus who walked with him, who, who saw miracles took, uh, take place, who was sent out to do ministry. So all of these people that, that they were often deemed as too far gone or outside of God's reach, guess what? God was able to restore them and use them for the kingdom. There is no person, and I want, to, I want you to hear this this morning because you, you may have somebody close to you in your life that you think is way too far gone. They are too far outside of God's reach. And let me say, as long as they still have breath in them, they are not outside of the reach of God. God is a pursuing God. God will never stop pursuing after your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter, your coworker, your neighbor, your friend. He does not stop. As human beings, sometimes we get frustrated. Maybe we stop praying, but guess what? Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding. He is praying. They are not too far outside of the reach of God. And so I want us to hear that. And so by having this better access to our heavenly father, it is a reminder to us this morning that there is no one, no one who is breathing breath that is outside the reach of God. This better access that was even given to the Gentile people, to us and to every sinner saved by grace is a reminder that no one is outside of God's reach. How many are thankful for that this morning? Amen. Number two, our access to the father has no limitations and no barriers. What an incredible privilege. Ephesians 2.18 says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. 
He's simply just summarizing. There's no more barrier. There's no more, there's no more wall of hostility. There's no more um, uh, uh, curtain in the temple that's separating you from encountering the presence of God. There are no barriers. You have free access to the Father through the person of Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross. Ephesians 3.12, again, because of Christ, because of his redemptive work at Calvary and our faith in him, when we say yes to Jesus, we can come boldly and confidently into his presence. This is not always, and I want you to hear this, this has not always been the case, though, for Jew and Gentile. Prior to the coming of Christ, his death and his resurrection, access to the Father was limited for the people of God. There were barriers that kept people from encountering the presence of God on a regular basis. Go all the way back to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter one and two in creation. We know that in the garden, Adam and Eve, they had perfect fellowship and communion with God. They, They would walk with God in the cool of the day. They could have conversations with him, but then sin entered the equation and sin marred that relationship and that perfect fellowship and communion that existed between God and humanity. Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden and then all of a sudden sacrifice sacrifices are having to be made in order to have any type of access uh, to God. And and we get a little bit further. We're given the law. There's a tabernacle uh, that is built that allows people uh, occasionally to go and encounter the presence of God. So for centuries, for centuries, access to God before Christ, before his death, um, before his life, death, resurrection, before Christ, access to the Father was indeed limited. In the Old Testament, access to God was limited to certain people or people groups. We know that Moses, he had a special relationship with God. He was allowed to ascend the mountain. Joshua was able to go with him, but the rest of, of the Israelites, they had to wait at the bottom of the mountain. They did not get access like Moses did or Joshua. We know Aaron, who was deemed as the, the high priest. Aaron was allowed to go into the most holy place. Remember, there's this, uh, in the, t- uh, the tabernacle and in the temple, there is a curtain that would separate the holy place from the most holy place. A- and you could only go into the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant dwells. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So, so you could only go on the other side of the curtain one time a year, and only the priest was allowed access into the most holy place. And let me tell you, I don't have time to go into the details, but there were a lot of, uh, uh, of um, things that had to happen in order for the priest to be prepared and cleansed and ready to step into uh, the other side of the curtain, into uh, the, the most holy place. So much so, and it was, it was kind of a frightening experience because what they would often have to do is, is the priest would have a rope attached to their leg. And, and so that way, if they go into and somehow uh, defile the presence of God and they're unclean and they're knocked down in the moment, then, then there would be a way to pull them back out. And so that was part of the process. And so talk about limitations. Only the priest had had access to the presence of God, the most holy place, but only once a year on the day of atonement. But we have eternal access into his presence. Prophets, prophets in the Old Testament, they would speak of the word of God, the word of God to a specific group of people. Sometimes we saw in the Old Testament that the spirit of God would come upon very specific individuals for a very specific season. The, we see that with, uh, with the judges and Gideon and Samson. The spirit of God would come upon Samson, but then it would leave. It would come upon David and Saul as kings. Uh, but, but we see even there in the Old Testament, access to the presence of God, there were barriers. They were limited to what they could do. But the Gentile audience, I want you to see this, not even worshipers of Yahweh, they had even more barriers. Most of the Gentile people weren't even pursuing communion with God. 
They would have been polytheistic, meaning they worship many gods. They were given less access even uh, to even the Jewish ways of approaching God with, with the construction of the temple. And get this, there was an outer court that was separated by walls and separated by distance that allowed the Gentiles to view but not get access to the main temple court areas. So the Gentile people, remember Paul is, is saying how they're estranged, they're outsiders, they don't have the access that even the Jewish people have. They had a place uh, in outer court that they were allowed to, uh, to visit or go to. They could view some of the other places of the temple from afar, from a distance, but they themselves were not even allowed to go into some of the courts of the Jewish people. So you can see there is division. Uh, there is limited access, even more so for the Gentile people. They were kept at a distance from the place that housed the presence of God. But now, probably two of my favorite words, or but God, but now, through the blood of Jesus, we have unlimited access to the Father. Folks, the tearing of the curtain in the temple court that separated the holy place from the most holy place, it foreshadowed the access that you and I now have to the Father. There is no more temple. There is no more barrier. There is no more you're allowed in the holy place, but only the priest is allowed into the most holy place. That temple, the moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, that temple or that curtain was torn. We read in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51, then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. He's up on the cross and at that moment, moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Man, I would have loved to be one of those temple court workers. And, and, and when the moment that Jesus breathed his last, just to see from top to bottom, that, 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 that uh, curtain tear in two. And now all of a sudden we have access to the presence of God, Jesus Christ. So what does this access look like? How do we have access? Well, Jesus Christ is the mediator. He is the one through whom we get access to the Father. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Except through me. We also read in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, there was one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So why is this unlimited access? Why is it so important? Why is it so significant? Well, number one, we don't have to wait for the right time and the right place to have access to God. Time and space do not hinder humanity from getting to God. You don't have to wait until Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. when worship begins to finally get access to the presence of God. You don't have to wait for the preacher to stand up here and start preaching a message for you to have access to the presence of God. Time and space are no longer a barrier. We can come into the presence of God at any moment, at any part of our day. Number two, it's important because we don't have to go through a priest, a pastor, or some other human being. We can talk directly with God. And when we talk with him, guess what? He hears us when we pray. And I am thankful for that. I'm thankful that um, for, for various reasons, you don't have to come to me to get access to God. You don't have to go to some priest or pastor, you know, talk with them for God to hear you. You can talk to God directly. You have just as much access as I do to the presence of God. And so that is very important. Number three, this immediate and unlimited access offers us all the resources we need for every season in life. To me, this is incredible. Um, to, to know that the access that I have to the Father, this unlimited and immediate access, it, it allows me all the resources I need to navigate every season of life. What do I mean by that? Uh, that means that God can be the comforter in times of grief. 
He can offer us peace in seasons of anxiety and depression. He can give us victory in seasons of defeat. He can give us encouragement in seasons of discouragement. He can bring us joy in seasons of celebration. Again, you don't have to wait until Sunday morning or Wednesday night or when the, uh, the atmosphere is just right. We can access him at any moment, any part of our day. And when we do, he is there to meet it. He is there to give us grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And I am thankful, thankful that I can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I can take everything, every concern, every question, every doubt. I can take it straight to God without hesitation. And I can know with assurance this morning that he cares about everything that I bring to him. Number four, what should be our posture? Then as we come into God's presence, we can come into his presence with boldness. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be timid or ashamed to come into his presence. Folks, he is ready to meet us right where we are. He wants us to come boldly into his throne room. He is ready to meet us where we are. We can come into his presence with confidence, confident in our position as children of God and confident in the perfect and holy character of God. We can come into his presence with expectation, expecting him to move in your life, to hear your petition and to offer himself to you. What is your posture in worship? Folks, when we come into the presence of God, we need to come with a sense of expectation, ready and prepared to meet God, ready for God to speak into your life. We can come into his presence with joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So what is your approach to God? Do you approach him knowing that we have unlimited and unhindered access to his presence because what an incredible privilege that you and I have. Not only is no one outside the reach of God, but this access that we have to the Father is unlimited and, is, and it is unhindered. We can come boldly and confidently into his presence. And finally, number three, our access to the Father must be taken advantage of Woo! daily. Our access to the Father must be taken advantage of daily. We have been invited by God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to come into his presence. Therefore, we must come. To refuse, listen, to refuse the invitation of a king is foolish. To skip out on an opportunity to fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be an absolute disappointment. We would miss out on something great if we refused to come into his presence. We have unlimited and unhindered access to the Father. So let's not waste this beautiful privilege given to those who say yes to Jesus. You know, we have maybe many of you in this room, you might have scheduled moments to be alone with God and we need to have those moments. For you, it might be first thing in the morning. For you, it might be on your car ride to work. Maybe it's uh, during your lunch break at work. Maybe it's in the evening before you go to bed. It doesn't matter when it is. We need to have those scheduled moments where we set aside specific intentional time to spend time in the presence of God. Because if we're not intentional about it, let's just be honest, we're not gonna be good at doing it. So we need to be intentional about setting aside those times. However, that works for you. Maybe you need to put that on your calendar and you need that dinging reminder of your phone to say, hey, this is my time with God. And you go away and you spend time with him. Maybe you're somebody that you don't need the reminder. You just know the first thing that you do when you wake up, before you brush your teeth, before you say another word, before you hop in that shower, before you eat that granola bar or that cereal, you're going to go spend time in the presence of God. We need to have those moments to be alone with him. But don't forget this. 
any place in any season can still be time spent with God. You can spend with you can spend time with God in the car on your drive. You can spend time with God at work. You can spend time with him in between ball practices while you're on the ball practice field, while you're waiting for your kid to finish up a game or practice. You can spend time with your kids. It does not matter. Again, we have unhindered, unlimited access to his presence. Number two, do not downplay or neglect the importance of the corporate gathering of God's people where we encounter God's presence in a unique way. Uh, There is a reason that we come here and we worship on Sunday morning. We come here to honor Christ, to exalt him. And and we don't wanna miss the unique opportunity. Again, we can encounter the presence of God anywhere, anytime. You don't have to wait until Sunday morning, but there's something special about when God's people come together on Sunday morning, when we lift our hands in worship, when we declare with our mouth, Lord, I hear you call, I am available use me however you want to. There's something unique and special about the corporate worship gathering. And and scripture says, do not forsake the gathering of God's people. It's very clear. So we need to make certain that that becomes a priority so we can encounter his presence in a unique way through fellowship, through, you know, I need, we need one another. We need each other to encourage one another, to pray for one another, lift one another up. We need the body of Christ. Number three, don't let shame, guilt, or even past failures keep you from experiencing the beautiful life-changing presence of Christ, because in his presence, all the shame is undone. I know there are times where, where shame and guilt, past experiences, past sin, past mess ups, whatever it may be, make it difficult for some to even want to come near. But guess what? God is waiting for you to come into his presence. He, he is not, he's not sitting there condemning you. Remember the only one who has power and authority to condemn us Jesus Christ is the one who died for us. And so he is ready for you to come into his presence. And finally, number four, and go ahead and stand with me. Number four, he offers a wealth of resources. He offers us comforts, rest, wisdom, boldness, help, grace, and mercy, all in our time of need. Those resources that God gives to us, they are divine in nature. They are not worldly in nature. So we can bank on him. So we need to take advantage. I want you to hear me this morning. We need to take advantage, not in a bad way, not in, a, in a, an abusing the, uh, the privilege that we have, but we need to take advantage of the access that God has given to us into his presence through his son, Jesus. He died for us. He reconciled us. He made a way for you and me to come into his presence all the time. He made it possible for us to have communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ, the son, whether it's 6 a.m., 6 p.m., whether it's in your car, at work, with your kids, out of all practice, guess what? We have unlimited and unhindered access into his presence. So let's take advantage of the resources, of the honor and the privilege that God has given to us because he is ready to meet us in our time of need. He is ready to give us the resources we need to navigate the world that we are living in. I I understand and I know that the world we live in today can be difficult, it can be confusing, it can be hard to navigate. There's a lot of questions that people may have, but, but folks, we need to rely on the access that we have into the presence of God because the resources that we need 
to navigate life here on earth are available to us. We just got to go get them. Those resources are available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Wisdom and discernment and knowledge and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Those resources are available, but we need to go and get them. Psalm 121, I want to end with this psalm. Psalmist said, I look up to the mountains and does my help come from there? He said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord, he stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night, moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever.